how can we as studio owners create and grow a business that generates consistent income and runs impeccably so we can live a comfortable lifestyle without working crazy hours or being chained to our business? This podcast is designed to answer that question. I'm your host, Alicia Jonas. Thank you for tuning in and let's dive into today's episode. This episode of the Dance Studio Amplified podcast is sponsored by my own Amplify Mastermind for online business owners, the brand new 12-month high-touch experience for business owners, consultants, and educators looking to cultivate their industry expertise and grow their business online. Amplify will give you the most up-to-date strategies, methods, and technologies and show you how to apply them to your unique business to maximize your results level up your visibility, and increase your bottom line. Whether you are looking to create consistent five-figure months, launch your signature program or product suite, or want to start a movement in your industry, there is one thing you can't afford not to have, and that's accountability and support from a tribe of like-minded women, like you'll find in Amplify. The program kicks off soon and spots are limited. Go to bit.ly slash Amplify Online Track to learn more and apply. I can't wait to see your business blow up in the next 12 months. Hello, beauties, and welcome back to another fabulous episode of Dance Studio Amplified. It's your host, Alicia, here, and I am so excited for today's episode because we have another fabulous guest. This person is someone that is so fierce, so amazing. She has done a TEDx talk. What? That's crazy. That's like on my bucket list and she's done it. And she is so incredible at what she does that she is hired by Fortune 500 companies to come in and work with their teams, do speaking gigs and consulting. She is just amazing. And if she can help teams at Fortune 500 companies, I am sure that she can help you in your dance studio. And her name is Anna Oaks. Anna was raised by hippies and she leverages her belief that she can change the world without a cape. She combines it with 25 years of leadership, organizational, and team performance experience. I am so excited to have her here today. I can't wait to see what amazing nuggets come out of our conversation. Well, hello, Anna. Welcome to the podcast. I just got done telling everybody how you have done a TEDx talk, which is amazing, how you work with these teams at these Fortune 500 companies and how like they can't help but get some amazing knowledge from you for their dance studio. So thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, it's a it's a surreal sort of ball of fun that I get to do every day, but it helps teams small and large. So thank you for letting me have access to your audience. Of course, of course. So talk to us a little bit more about your entrepreneurial journey. Talk to us a little bit more about that. How did you get to what you're doing today where you're speaking and you're coaching on teams? Yeah, I think it's a pretty interesting journey, you know. I know that nobody's journey is sort of that, like, straight up. There's zigzags, there's rewinds, there's, like, ups and downs. And so I think if I charted mine out, it would be a pretty funny, like, amoeba shape of of madness, (laughs) uh, which is totally fitting for me. But, you know, I never imagined myself doing this. And not because I think what I do is sort of out of the question. It's just 
I was never specifically this person that says, I'm going to do this one thing, right? I'm going to, I'm going to be this one thing. I'm going to take this path. I'm just too quirky for that. I mean, you know me, right? Like I'm just Mm -hmm. too spazzy for that. So like I need to follow my curiosity and I'm totally okay with wherever that takes me because I think if you can do that, it will pay dividends. So earlier in my career, I was a leader at a call center and then I was in supply chain management and I did customer care leadership for a long time. And then all of a sudden I found myself about 15 years ago um, in a job in a supply chain job. And I felt like the company that I was working for really had major growth goals and wanted to do quite a few things with their employees. And from what they were saying, and then how they were hiring, because I did come from really big companies like State Farm Insurance, who did this really, really well, I thought there was a major disconnect. So I started sharing my opinion with leaders and saying things like, hey, we've got these huge hiring goals, but I feel like our employer brand doesn't match, right? Our strategy of being a a secret in the Milwaukee area isn't going to really get us there because as much as we can build talent, we also have to buy talent. And so all of a sudden, I found myself in a job. Uh, about a couple months later of sharing this opinion, I put together a job description and they asked me what I really thought I should be, how I could help this company. And I found myself in this job and then they moved my desk to HR. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm in HR now. I, I, I mean, I really honestly had no idea what I was doing. I was just sharing my opinion and my thoughts on leadership, on how to build teams, on how to attract the talent. So fast forward, I worked my, my way up through the corporate um jobs through one company through manpower global and then was hired at Baird to eventually then be trained to be the chief human capital officer and I learned a ton in that 15-year journey Um, you know I've been in corporate for 20 plus years before I left and that 15 years of sort of being in that HR people leadership space was amazing because I had awesome leaders to emulate I had great sort of opportunities to do internal consulting. And so I learned a lot about sort of serving those different clients, which is helping me now. Uh, And yeah, it was just sort of this fun ride that said, like, I'll just go see what this job is about. And then they asked me to do something else. And I said, yeah, I'll do that, right? I'll take on that project. I'll lead that team. I will serve on that committee. I just was in the habit of saying yes to my curiosity. And it led me to really be in an executive leadership role, which was an awesome experience. But I did reach the point where I was at a fork in the road. Like I either had to accept this chief human capital officer job or do something different. And for two years, I agonized over what that something different was. Was it a different role? Um, was it someplace else? Was it, you know, what was it going to be for me? And finally, I realized Alicia, that it was going out on my own. And I surprised the heck out of myself because I thought, well, maybe I'll be an entrepreneur, maybe I'll run my own company when my kids are in college, right? I sort of expected that I would be traveling a lot. And so that wasn't going to be very realistic for me until they were in college. But then I had this like deep knowing that this is what I was supposed to do. And so I quit my job and I like <laughs> hung up the shingle as they say. And it, yeah, it was, it's been, gosh, it's been four years. So it's been a great, it's been a great journey so far. And you lived happily ever after, right? Yeah. You know what? I mean, you know, I, I will say, you know, I don't know if there is happily ever after. I think it's all mm-hmm. we make of it. And so for those people who are still um, working for someone, right? I mean, think about your staff, right? They're not in a bad position. They work for an amazing organization. They work for an awesome leader like you. So those people, they're not doing anything wrong, right? They can be intrapreneurs. They can own their career. They can make a difference where they're at. Not everyone is built to be an entrepreneur. But for me, 
it's been a really fun ride really fun ride so far right right that's so amazing and I think that I love that you talk about how you didn't set out to have this specific like you didn't think like there's this box that was this career and that's what I'm choosing and that's what I'm sticking with like you were open to things changing and you you followed your like you said your curiosity and your interest changed and and people gave you a chance, right, to shine and to use your talents that you didn't even know that you necessarily had and, and look where it, it took you, right? And yeah. that's just, I think that's just a, a, a lesson for, for all the listeners, you know, whether you're teaching for someone else now or whether you have something on your heart, whether you want to develop a curriculum or start a competition or whatever, start some nonprofit program that never say never like you can just if you feel that calling you can follow it and you can be successful it doesn't even if it wasn't in the plan five years ago doesn't mean that you can't follow it now right yeah totally one of our family mantras is you can change your mind a thousand times and -hmm. there's probably things in your life that you could say you don't want to change your mind about your marriage and other things like that and we will fiercely protect those things but the other things I want to give them and myself permission to change your mind and so I have friends who have callings, right? Whether they're a pastor or a teacher, they followed a calling and maybe they felt that calling their whole life or maybe they, it was a second calling. So I really admire them that they have a calling. But for the rest of us, when we get those little itches of curiosity, I strongly suggest that people create a hobby, right? And then figure out if you like that hobby enough, maybe you can turn it into a side hustle, which means you have to transition from doing things for free to doing things for money, which you should do, right? You only want to give away your services for so long. Um, I did this for a long time with photography. When I was in corporate America, I had this passion to fuel that creative side of me. So I opened a photography business and I ran it for almost eight years uh, before it was too much with what I'm doing now. But that really fueled that side of me. And it let me know that I could do those other things that I could make that side money and I could be successful and really dig into that curiosity, which A, let me know I did not want to do that full time, right? Mm -hmm. So I learned that lesson while I still had a secure job. And B, it also let me become really good at uh, time management, right? Mm -hmm. Figuring out how to get that day job done and that side hustle, really how do I fit all of those things in and really how could they maybe even support each other is an interesting experience. So for those people who are feeling that itch, get a hobby, take a class, buy an e-course, do something to like explore that curiosity and then see if you want to turn it into a side hustle and then figure out, is that your business? Right. Right. And I think so many times we, we feel that itch, like we feel that itch and we're like, Oh, but it's going to mess up what I have going here. Or what are people going to think of me? Or can I really do that? Or I can't do it as well as that other person. So I might as well not even try. And I would say like, don't, you have to think about you and your happiness. And that's really the only opinion that matters, right? Yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if your parents say, well, we, we put you through college and got you this degree and you don't even want to do that. Well, it's okay. <laughs> like it really yeah. is okay. Yeah. You'll be okay. Um, yeah. there, there's a great book out there called Range. Um, and I'm going to forget the author right now, but you can put it in your show notes. So it's, uh, it's, um, mm-hmm. It's all about how when you are a, what they would call a generalist, right? So somebody who knows kind of a lot uh, or a little about a lot versus a lot about a little, um, you're actually more dangerous when you are a generalist than when you are an expert. And the book is amazing. It shares so many great stats. So I don't want people to think that, oh, I went to school. So I I was going to be an elementary education major, then switched to public relations. Both the the courses that I took in elementary education and the courses that I took in PR I'm totally using those skills. 
I, you know, my, my undergrad and my MBA were not wastes, right? They were, they were, you know, just place cards. They're pieces of the puzzle that sort of put all those things together. And so don't be afraid of, oh, I committed to this major, so I got to go work in it. No, just leverage what you learned, right? To do something else. And, you know, I want to talk to the leaders for a second mm-hmm. because, you know, it's easy for you and I to sit here and say like, oh yeah, yeah, just nobody else's <laughs> opinion matters. But when you're working for somebody, it's really scary. So I, I want to I talk it to is. people about that for a second. The best thing that you can do as a leader is have routine one-on-ones with your people. And when you have those routine one-on-ones, I would suggest they be weekly. If you can't do weekly, do every other week, but do not do it less frequently than that because that constant connection is really important. I want leaders to think about themselves like the ropes that are tethering a hot air balloon to the basket, right? The more you strengthen those ropes, the more engaged, the more high performing your employees are going to be. And so you're going to increase the likelihood of that engagement and those tethers if you create unique opportunities to connect with them. And I think a lot of leaders tell me like, what am I supposed to talk about? Well, I think some of the time you can talk about projects and how's their work going and how, how's this going? What help do you need for me? But at least once a month, I always for, I mean, I think the most people that I ever supervised at one time was probably like 40 some people. And I even pulled it off for them, you know, 30 minutes, one time a week, I would do it because it was important to me. And, you know, I, that was a shorter amount of time because then I needed leaders and I was a leader of leaders after that. But even then I would sit down with them and at least once one out of four of those meetings a month was about how are they doing, right? If a recruiter called you tomorrow, what would get you to say yes, right? Um, how are things going at home, right? I know you've had some tough things going on. What have you been dreaming about lately, right? You mentioned that you were interested in that photography thing. I, he- I heard you mention that in a meeting the other day. Have you ever thought about maybe exploring that as a hobby or a, hi- a side hustle? When we open our mouths as leaders and we give permission to our employees to actually feel like they can be safe and they can share those dreams with us, they are more likely to A, perform better when they're there and B, they will stay longer. And so don't be scared of having those conversations and employees, you can surely initiate those and sort of test out the waters, but it's really up to that leader to not react like, oh, wait, what? Are you going to quit your job tomorrow? You want to go be a photographer? Oh, you'll never make this photographer, right? We just need to like squelch all those things and think about that Anna sitting right in front of them saying like, hey, I kind of think I'm going to start dabbling in photography. And as a leader being like, yeah, you should totally do that if it makes you feel happy. Oh, I think that is such a good piece of advice. And I think as leaders, it regardless of, and I, we do have that fear, like, oh, they are going to leave us. If we, if we encourage this, then I'll have lost a great employee. But really, like we as leaders, our priority should be our people and what's best for them. And if, if it's best for them to go back to grad school or to go try that thing, then we should be fully supported and not hold back. Because I feel like sometimes the studio owners were like, oh, I don't want to share any more secrets with them. I don't want to share any more of my business knowledge with them just in case they use it against me, just in case they yeah. go and start their own thing. And I think it's like, well, that's, that's not the attitude. That's the attitude of lack and of fear kind of mm-hmm. creeping up. And we really need to, to watch that and, and come from a place of, of nurturing and abundance. And there's plenty, there's plenty of opportunity. There's plenty of students. There's plenty of money. And if this is right for them, then we need to support them through that. And I love the idea of touching base with them because 
that just opens up communication for anything, right? It doesn't need to be just always, well, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong. It, it does need to open up the communication for how are you feeling? How's your classes going? What's going on with your family? You know, oh, you had a flat tire last week. That really sucks. <laughs> you know, yeah. do you need, do you need some help? Do you need a, did you need a day off to, to help get that fixed? You know, things like that. When employees are going to feel supported, they're, they are going to perform better. I totally agree. When they feel connected to you and they feel supported as a person and not just as someone who pumps out classes and generates revenue for you. It's so yeah. key. Yeah. And so let's good. keep in mind too that, you know, we get scared that they're going to leave. The, the, the punchline is they're all going to leave, right? <laughs> Rare, yeah. Rarely do you get somebody who's going to stay with you for the long haul, especially as an entrepreneur, right? I mean, I have two people who work with me, well, three people who work with me right now. And, you know, one of them specifically, she's going into her junior year of college. She's incredibly talented. She leads uh, the local TEDx at her uh, UW-Milwaukee office. She's gonna, she's gonna be my competition someday, and I love that. I'm not scared yeah. to that. You know, I'm all about community over competition, and that's one of the graces that I've been given since I've been coming entrepreneurs. How many consultants, coaches, people who do what I do, organizational experts, organizational psychologists, where we just support each other and we throw each other business, right? I can't take on this account right now. I, I'm at, I'm, I'm at max capacity, or maybe I'm not the right person for you here, right? So I, I that was, I was. So fascinating when you said that. It didn't really occur to me at first, though, that you know I mentioned photography. I had somebody who worked for me uh, as a as a senior person in an HR department once, and she was very interested in, in opening a flower shop someday. So those are obviously less intimidating. But she was one of my highest performers, so I had that that same like, please don't leave me, please don't leave me, right? I felt that same feeling, but yet she wasn't going to come competition. So let's stop there. I'm curious, like, have you ever had anybody who's worked for you that either has expressed that interest or, you know, or, or maybe didn't express that interest and then went and did that anyway? Does that, does that happen a lot in the dance? It does. It hasn't happened to me personally, but it does happen where, um, and I actually worked for a studio before I went off and became a studio owner. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it is, it is a, a kind of a somewhat common thing where you start as a teacher and then you decide, oh, I think I'm ready to do this for myself. And so you will branch off. And, and there's a lot of talk, and this is a whole other topic about integrity with stealing students and stealing information, sure. things like sure. that. So, so there is a little bit of fear. And I know some studio owners have been burned by teachers who have not been in integrity and have taken mm-hmm. advantage of the information and the resources that they were given and use it to build their business, right? A total conflict of interest. Mm. But I have not experienced that. And I think that there's a certain, definitely a level of trust that has to be established from the start, right? And and it also comes down to the questions that you ask when you interview a a staff member, when you check in with them. You know, you got to gauge, are they interested in being an entrepreneur? Are they interested in the flexibility of being a teacher? And you have to assess what your, what your tolerance is, I think, for that sort of um, person that you're hiring, what, what their personality is and everything. Loving this episode of the Dance Studio Amplified podcast? Head over to iTunes to subscribe so you don't miss an episode 
And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review. I would truly appreciate it as it helps me reach more amazing studio owners and educators like you doing so much to make a positive impact. Completely. And you know, if I were a betting person and we were sort of looking at two scenarios parallel where one studio owner, um, you know, was trying to gauge if that person was an entrepreneur, but really never opened up the, the trust doors, like I, I like to say, and they never really had a, a deeper connection with that employee. And they never really talked about their hopes and dreams. And then someday that person leaves and maybe does take some students and maybe to, you know, operates with lower integrity is, is your example. And then on the other scenario, you've got a leader who does open those trust doors and does uh, give advice and wants to hear their hopes and dreams. And yes, acknowledges that they may feel a little bit of fear about losing a somebody who's talented or b you know somebody who's going to go be their competition. But that person, I I I, I bet a, a million dollars that that scenario, the second scenario, will be more successful. That that person will leave more smoothly. That they the two owners could then be collaborators and supporters of each other. And that that person, the employee, would probably leave with greater integrity, uh, you know, and not do some of those things that the other scenario would because the leader has opened up that communication. And so as entrepreneurs, as leaders, it starts with us. We set the tone for what happens. I agree. I, I agree. And I, you know, I don't have the personal experience, but I would say that if you're a teacher and you feel that closeness with your leadership, right, you are less likely to to do something deliberately to hurt them. Yes. Whereas if you don't, if you don't have that, that closeness, if you don't feel that same level of respect and same level of trust, yes, you, you might be more tempted or feel like you could take advantage of that. So I definitely agree, you know, so it is in your best interest to develop that trust, to give them that trust, to, to ask and connect with them for sure. Yeah. All right. So what are some keys to building a effective team? Yeah, I think, you know, we've talked about one of the big keys, uh, connection, mm -hmm. right? Building that connection with your staff and with your clients, because if, you know, employees are looking for consistency. And so as a leader, you know, we just talked about the, the connection that you want to build. It doesn't have to be being best friends with all your employees and having them over to your house. If you are somebody who wants more personal boundaries or maybe somebody who operates more from introversion, those things are okay. You can still build connections at work with these people. So you can still have those healthy boundaries. And so for me, it's about making sure that you are having connection with your employees and establishing with what works for you. And the reason I mentioned connection with both your employees and your, and your clients is that employees are looking for that consistency. They're always watching a leader to see if they're operating from a place of authenticity, right? Are you just turning it on for the clients when they walk in the door and the minute that they leave, you're grumpy? Or are you just turning it on during a one-on-one -on -one with them and then you really don't talk to them the rest of the week? right? They're really looking for consistency. And so as a leader, you need to find that authentic voice, which is really my second tip, right? Build connections and do that through your authentic voice, right? Who are you as a leader? What are your strengths? And not denying those, but really leveraging those. So right, I'm a big a fan of StrengthsFinder, which is actually now called Clifton Strengths through Gallup. And they do, have you ever taken that assessment, Alicia? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's a great one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you do the full 34? 
questions? I think so. I think yeah. So. I've got the book over there. Oh, good, good. Yeah. yeah. So there's a, you can do your top five or you can do the full 34, which tells you of all of the Gallup strengths, how are they ranked in order for you versus, you know, uh, starting with the most strong strengths that you have all the way down to maybe the ones that just are not strengths for you at all. They're just talents. Um, you haven't necessarily practiced them enough and you don't have enough natural skill in those. So let's take a leader who maybe is low in empathy on the Gallup scale, right? They, they, they can still show empathy in a way that's authentic to them, right? So empathy is not in my top 10, but I'm an extremely empathetic leader because I use empathy through my, through what my natural strengths are. So for example, um, one of my top strengths as a leader is relator. And so that is my ability to build deep connections quickly with other people. And that could be connections just for work, but that's how I show my empathy is by building those deeper connections and making sure that I'm nurturing those connections or those ropes instead of just letting them like sort of be right. So that's how I show my empathy. And so I always encourage leaders, you know, if you think you are not your typical leader, right, whoever your, your typical leader is, whoever you're picturing as the top leader, that's okay. Just be who you are, but be the best version of you, right? Give them your best version of your strengths and you'll be successful because that authenticity goes a really long way, not just with your employees, but your business. Mm-hmm. And I think that employees also appreciate you to just like fess up, like be like, I messed up or I thought it would work this way and it didn't. And, and just admitting like when you screw up, when something doesn't work out, that goes a long way also in being authentic and, and not always painting, you know, we don't always have to be being a leader and being a good leader. doesn't mean we always have to be perfect, Mm -hmm. right? Nothing is ever perfect. No one is ever perfect. And so I think that admitting like, I don't know if this is going to work out or I don't know where this went wrong, but we're going to try again. And you have to set the example and say, okay, well, we're going to keep going. We're going to try it again. We're going to do it this way and we'll see what happens. Right. And admitting like taking the responsibility for any failures or any challenges is an important quality of a leader. Right. Yes. But also putting the team first when there are successes, right? The leader is like the first one to take the responsibility when there's a failure but also, but the last one to take responsibility when there's wins and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Love first thinking about that. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, and I think that that's awesome. It leads me to my third tip. So we talked about connection we talked about authenticity. My third tip is it takes work, right? Yeah. So, you know, like any relationships. And so you just were, a, you explained really well about the effort that it takes to nurture that team. So if you want to build a high performing team, the word build in, is in there for a reason, right? The high performing team just doesn't show up. So if you were going to design and build your dream home, it would take creating a plan and setting goals and hiring experts to come in and help you. That's what it takes to build your dream home. That's what it takes to build your dream team too, you know, so that work needs to come from the leader and then, you know, whittle, you know, I guess, uh, drips down into the employees below. And if, if they're not willing to put in the work, then they need to be satisfied with a uh, middle of the road or mediocre performing team. And maybe mm-hmm. that's okay for some people. And honestly, most leaders and many entrepreneurs I see out there, that is okay for them, you know, because that's the best that they can do right now. And although I know that many of us could do better, they're, they're making a choice with the way that they're using their energy that they are not going to put in the effort that it takes to build a high-performing team. 
And it does take effort, like a good marriage, like a good friendship. It takes effort, but you've got to be willing to do the work. Mm -hmm. And I think that studio owners, many of us are so like, we're the one person show that's doing most of the work. And so our team is, is our teachers. And so we are stretched a million different directions, right? And so thinking about nurturing our teachers or nurturing our staff members kind of gets lower on the totem pole, right? Gets lower on the priority list. And really it needs to be shifted because yeah. the more nurtured they are, the more output, the better experience they're going to provide, all of that. It's going to improve your results dramatically yeah. once you prioritize that. That's what I'm yeah. doing, right? I, yeah, I coach a lot of startups and uh, founders. And one of the founders I was coaching the other day had a little aha moment about how much time he had spent at the beginning of his uh, startup figuring out a logo and a website. I did the same thing. So I was laughing when he told me this. <laughs> and, and then now he's like, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is my team. And it's like, yes, if you could just flip that around. So I, I, as you were talking about a studio owner, I just envisioned you flitting through the, the studio consuming, not you maybe, but maybe somebody else. <laughs> no, somebody not as talented as smart as you, but flitting through the studio and getting busy with all this stuff, right? Why are all these papers here? And what's the, what's this process and what's going on over here? If you would stop and you would invest that energy into your staff, those are the ones, your teachers are the ones that are impressing the parents and the students every time they walk into that building, right? They're the ones they're thinking about. It's not, hey, did Alicia have the storage room straightened at the studio? It's how did Miss Doozy do in your No, class? the answer is no. I didn't exactly. have a storage room straightened. <laughs> I guess they could example of something useless that you could do with your son. But I'm telling you, it happens all the time. I, I left, a, I, I did a workshop the other day at a very big company here in Milwaukee and I was leaving and I said oh you know just I, I looked at the leader and I said does your admin have time to type us these notes and she said actually no she doesn't she's working on a big project for me and I said that's okay I'll I'll take them I'll have one, somebody from my team type them up she says no 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 I'll do it and I said no you won't do this I said this is not your highest and best use this is also the leader who's not having one-on-ones with her team right now now, some of that's scheduling, so I got to let her off the, the, the hook. Some of that is the way their team is structured right now, which we're working on. But nothing is more important than spending time with your team. And so if somebody says, in that case, I can type up the notes, the answer is, yes, you can. Please do that, because I can think of something better to do with that 30 minutes of time instead of typing up those notes. And she was trying to be nice for her admin, but that 30 minutes could be used for drive-by conversations with her team mm-hmm. you know it doesn't even have to be that scheduled one-on-one if those are hard to do with her team which they are right now don't schedule them right now but at least start making sure that you are making those connections I always call it giving those nickel and dime conversations mm-hmm. you, you don't have to give you if you only have a dollar's worth of energy every day you don't have to give everybody a dollar but you can make somebody feel really great just by a five-minute conversation or, you know, a, a, a quick comment about something that you knew happened during their week or their weekend that, that just puts money in their bank, right? Just think about mm. adding money in their bank every time you connect with them, small or, you know, or large connections. Both are important. Mm, very good. I love that. Thanks so much for listening to the Dance Studio Amplified podcast. I hope today's episode has been so helpful for you. Be sure to visit theconfidentdancestudio.com where you can join the conversation, access all the show notes, and discover all sorts of free content 
designed to help you in your studio.